Hi, listeners. Joe here with some fun updates before we get into this week's episode. I want to let you know that we have a new website up. So if you go to WTHIAP.com, you'll be able to see some playlists that we've curated for the podcast. For those of you who are just finding us or getting into us for the first time, you'll be able to see some good episodes to listen back to and maybe discover some content you don't know yet. It also has our new merch store, which has new merch options for the two merch designs that we have been selling on Bonfire previously. So if you've been waiting on a sticker, if you have been waiting on different sizing, or if you just want to replace merch that you have already gotten, that is available for you at WTHIAP.com slash merch. And now I want to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Shelly, Tara, Rachel, Abby, Peter, the Reverend Langenstein, Annalise, and this week, Ian has joined the Patreon. So Ian, thank you for your money. As you know, your money makes the show happen. If you want to help us make this show happen, you can join our supporters over at Patreon. You'll get access to the patron-only podcast feed. And if you need help setting that up, let me know. That also has bonus content. We have a whole two episodes reflecting on Pleasantville, the movie that we mentioned in a recent episode with John. If you want to hear that, that's going to be on the Patreon last week and this week. And also the patron-only podcast that Ian and I record called Pillow Talk. Ian makes his triumphal return to Pillow Talk talk this week or possibly next week. So you don't want to miss that once Ian is back. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to us. All of those things help. You could share us on social media or follow us on social media. Or of course, you can always just keep listening because that is good too. And now on to the show. One, two, five, nine. Robin Breeze servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Well, Ethan, since the Southern Baptist Convention has decided that I, as a woman, am unworthy of being a minister, how about you tell us a ministry story so that we can be in concert with our brethren? I will. And you know what? <laughs> Thank you, uh, woman. <laughs> By the way, like the, the best think pieces on the SBC stuff that I've been seeing are, are think pieces that from women and men who remind us that the Southern Baptist Convention should not be treated as a serious religious organization. Mm. Like, like, remember, this is an organization to maintain slavery. Right. That's, right. that's why it exists. That's not even an opinion. That's just the fact. That's, that's just, yeah, exactly. That's a documented historical fact. The theology always comes later, right? We have this political and social practice that they want to maintain. And then they create theology after they've already consolidated power to maintain it. Like, and that's all. And then, and then it goes on and on and on. And and there might be, there might be okay theologians or, or good practicing Christians that are a part of this group, but they're always secondary and they're always produced accidentally. Mm. (laughs) And we know, and we know they are because Every, you know, every, every couple of decades, they get together and they uh, do exactly what they did this time. <laughs> right, right. Right, to, to call and prune the good stuff out of the organization. Yeah. 
that's what they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so that's not, this is, this is mostly uh, the public service announcement to our listeners, just to remind them. What another way we can look at this? It, it it it's not that it isn't a religious group. Of course it is, but another way we can look at it is this is a, a political action group mm-hmm. that every now and again has to get rid of people who do not conform to their thinking. Right? There is no theological or biblical reason why women can't can't minister or practice at all in the SBC. They don't, it doesn't have to be. They just, they don't want women there. And so in the next couple of months, we're going to see uh, new and novel readings of scripture, mm. you know, and, and theologies that, that support this. Are there script, we talk about this in the podcast, listeners, are there scriptures that quote unquote support women being silent in church? Yeah, just like there are scriptures that support, you know, polygamy, and there are scriptures that support um, uh, the the belief that there are many, many gods all throughout the world. Yeah, or scriptures that like say that you should stone your child if they they've been disobedient. You know, like there's yeah, there are plenty of scriptures available. We all choose which ones we pick. Nobody upholds everything in the Bible because the Bible contradicts itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. we've talked about all this. Right, I mean, right. also like. It's helpful for us to remind ourselves every time the Southern Baptist Convention does something like this, it impacts real people, real people will be harmed by this. It gives people who don't want women in the pulpit more fire to continue to make uh, women's lives harder and people who appear as women in the world. And it's helpful to remember that like this group, when they could no longer fight for segregation, chose to fight against abortion. And when abortion wasn't something that they could make success on, they chose to fight against everything about the LGBTQ community uh, as they like gained ground. So they're just genuinely exactly what you said, Ethan. They are just finding things that allow them to stay in power and they are producing theological statements in order to make that happen. Just like in in our conversation with John, the reclaiming biblical manhood and womanhood. Like that is, that's just something we all made up in order to um, have something to agree on and um, make other people abide by our unreasonable standards, as I talked about in therapy this week. So, Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. I, just, I, I, I apologize. You prompted me to want to say that, like, because I'm like, because I, because I'm also following the Church of the Nazarene General uh, Assembly. Right. Which is all happening at the same time. And I'm reminded, you know, I know I, I do have a ministry story, listeners, um, <laughs> that, that will at least make us laugh. And I'm reminded uh, a couple of things. One, I dearly love the Church of the Nazarene. Mm. I really do. Like, they're, they're our cousins. They're, they're the second largest um, Wesleyan denomination in the world, um, other, than, other than Methodism sort of in general, Right. Um, they are, they are global. They're the majority of their members are in the global South and, and Hmm. much of their, much of their leadership. It's not perfect, but, but uh, their leadership reflects that more than ours do. Mm. You know, um, they, they have legitimate debates about doctrine, which, which strikes, which in one way should, might, might strike some of our listeners as silly and boring, but when was the last time 
we had a general conference where we had real heartfelt debate about what the meaning of holiness was. Hmm. Yeah. They do that. They have that debate. I'm not saying it's always in good faith. What I'm saying is uh, they're self-aware enough to have those debates, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're traditionally, because of their commitment to the global South, they're actually way better on political action than we are. Um, mm. uh, just in general, they're just a lot more conservative than us, you know, in, in a lot of ways. There are still plenty of progressive and liberation focused Church of the Nazarene folks. Um, but like, I'm always reminded at how much I love and respect them. Um, but, you know, and how if, if, if there were just, if they were at least more moderate, mm. you know, I know that's a, a compromise. But if they were at least a little bit more moderate, if there were more spaces for inclusion, right. I would I would happily entertain worshiping with them and maybe even serving with them. But uh, you just had both the Southern Baptist Convention and the you know a, a general meeting and the Church of the Nazarene General Assembly happening at the same time, and it's uh, and so I'm just I'm particularly ornery about that right now. Yeah. No, I feel that. I feel that. I also, like in reflecting on this, I was just having a conversation with an Episcopalian who was like, you know, we'd love to have you in the Episcopal Church. And I just recently had a conversation with like a UCC who was like, you know, we'd love to have you as a UCC. And I think that what I would love in my spirit, and like this is a moment of growth for me, is to be able to have the kind of affection that you have for the Naz Church of the Nazarenes um, for these other denominations instead of just... Mm -hmm resentment that like they can speak their political mind more freely than I have ever been able to uh, when I was serving as a Methodist pastor. Yeah. Like I, I wish that I could find, and maybe I will find one day, I hold up, hold up hope for that, that like I can find that seed of worthiness in other denominations and find something to love about them. And that one day God may work God's will, not will, but like work God's grace on the Southern Baptist convention. And they, um, completely repent of their past and become something worthy of finding good in. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Martin Luther King Jr. was a Southern Baptist. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That's, but that's mostly, that's why they had to cull everything in 78. Oh, yeah. They okay. had strong, they had strong uh, civil rights roots. And then in 78, they were like, whew, we better get rid of that. You know? <laughs> 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 Anyway, it's like when uh, when the Republicans say they're the party of Lincoln. It's like, yeah, but let's look, let's look at how things have shifted since then. <laughs> right. You're, you're more like the party of John Wilkes Booth, but that's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go refill my coffee and then I want to hear it. your ministry story. Yes, yes ma'am. <laughs> okay, so ministry story, go. All right. So we've been sick at the house. Adrea brought home... Uh, her last superbug from elementary school for the year. Oh, nice. And it and it ripped through the house and was just not fun. Adrea and Elliot are essentially all better. Beth and I are finally starting to be better. And Emily uh, got strep throat again. Ugh. So it's just, just an absolute debacle in general. But on but last week, let me try to get this right. So last week, I want to say Saturday of last week, 
we celebrated Adrea's birthday. Her birthday isn't until the 20th, but we scheduled a birthday party, uh, you know, for Saturday of last week. And it was a bit of a mess, like, like getting this all planned out. We were going to have it at her gymnastics studio, but then they that didn't work out. We were going to have it outside, but then climate change happened, mm. and that didn't work out. And so I was like, hey, I'm a pastor. What if we just have it at the church? Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. And so we ended up doing that. We we had, you know, we set different things up and that was a plan. And so two things happen. This is the ministry story. So two things happen. We are moving stuff Saturday morning, you know, over to the church to get the party set up. Because you're basically moved into the parsonage by this point. Yes, yes. We are in the parsonage now. We're we're totally moved out of the condo i have to call my my skeevy landlord to let him know that we've cleaned everything and we would really like our deposit back now please nice yep but uh we so so we're you know we're just driving a couple of blocks you know but but at the same time we're not going to walk in the heat you know we're not going to take a, a, a six minute walk with party materials over the church so we're driving this is important to the story so we all get in the vehicle, you know, we're, we're, we're about to take a, a 20 second drive over to the church and I get everybody in the vehicle. We get stuff in the vehicle and I back up and I crash into something <gasps> and I'm uh, frustrated during the day. You know, like I'm, I'm still sleeping great. The CPAP machine is working wonders, but you know, I'm normal adult father frustrated. Sure. Where where I'm I'm like I actually would like to spend my Saturday doing nothing. <laughs> but, right. I would like but, a break. Thanks. But here we are. I love my daughter. I love my family. We're doing this, and so I crash into something. I didn't feel it wasn't like I felt like everything fall apart. It wasn't like suddenly it exploded. It was definitely a crash and a crack. But not like a shutter in the car. So so I could tell it was one of those instances where you're like, it really doesn't sound like something bad has happened to the car. Right. And so because that's what I felt, and because Beth mercifully did not say anything, I uh, was like, I'm not going to worry about this right now. Let's just go to the church. So I drive to the church. We set some things up. And now I have to go back to the house to get the last bit of stuff. So I'm driving back to the house. And I notice that what I crashed into was the mailbox. And I had and I had crashed in and broken the mailbox clean in twain. Oh my god, even um, <laughs> the the steel beam. So apparently when Penny was pastor, there were some hooligans who like in the dead of night would just like beat up her mailbox and like toss the mailbox around. And so Penny had installed this like giant steel mailbox that was really obnoxious, frankly, but like, you know, was meant to survive like the last of us, you know, like, and I, and I, and I crashed into it and I literally cleanly broke the steel beam in half. And the mailbox is just laying on the ground. And I stare at the mailbox and I'm like, cool. Mmm, good. 
I'm like picking up the mailbox. I'm like kind of looking at it. I'm like, can I? No, I can't reattach this. <laughs> I can't fix this. <laughs> uh, it's totally beyond me. Not only not only can I not fix it, even if I could somehow reattach the beam, I had Hyundai, Hyundai Sonatas apparently are tanks because I like not only broke the beam, but like the footing that put the whole thing in, I like shifted. And so like everything, everything is like bent the wrong way. Like there's no way, even if I could magically attach the beam, make it be straight, you know, make, make the mailbox, you know, fit straight up. And Can I so, pause your story and ask you yes, two questions? Of course. The first is... I was drunk, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad I clarified. I'm glad you got into the car with your entire family. <laughs> yeah, that's how we do things. Intoxicated. Oh, my gosh. You know, but but also, we know that there have been Methodist pastors in the past who have actually done something like that and mm. got nothing more than a slap on the wrist. You just know it, right? You oh, know yeah. it. Anyway, um... So the first question is, when these things happen, when you have broken something kind of beyond repair, do you revert back to your childhood self of like, do I hide this or do I confess to another adult that I did this? Because that's what I would do. I'd be like, I think I can just I can just make it work with enough super glue, you know? Mm. Well, so Beth knew I did it. There was no, you know, she was in the car. Like there was no conceivable way. And also my wife, the very first argument, like, like screaming argument that Beth and I ever had as a married couple was, uh, in the first, like two months of our marriage at Wesley, I was the only one with the key to get to the mail room, like where they keep our mailbox in, in the one residence hall. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't realize that my wife, one of my wife's neuroses, is that she loves the mail and 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 needs to check the mail two times a day, or the whole world will fall apart. I mean, it and, sounds like one of her joys in life is checking the mail. Uh well, kum se kum sa. And and so I, I'm sitting in systematic theology class. And for the fifth time that day, Beth asked me if I had checked the mail. And I, um, I all caps messaged her, why don't you go check the mail? We'll just, I'll just make a key for you and then you can have the key. And I'll never, ever, ever touch the mail again. And that'll be your job forever and ever and ever. And, And so mail has always been a source of contention in my life. And I knew that if I did not fix this, I would get killed. It's the mailbox. Because it's the mailbox. Like I knew that it was done. Like I needed to get it fixed. It had to happen. I could not call a trustee. For one thing, it's my fault. Right. It's not like it's not like I could say, speak in the passive voice. Somehow <laughs> the mailbox has fallen apart. Like like I can't do that. Did you like drag part of the mailbox like under the car? Like I'm just I'm really trying to understand how you hit this and did not know that you hit this. I I don't know how to tell. I I did not drag another part of the mailbox. I don't know what how to explain it. I just I crashed into it and it busted. Huh. Um like there might be a little scratch on the back bumper of my car, but by and large everything's fine. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Go back to the story. Those are my questions. Right. And so, so I know I need to fix this mailbox. I just have to, or Beth, like, it's just not going to go good. 
And so I explained to Beth, it's Saturday. There's no post tomorrow. I have some time. Beth's like, uh-huh. <laughs> now, but now that's just one, that's, that's one story. Remember, I have two ministry stories from the same day. So that's, so, so the mailbox story does resolve, but we're going to put a pin in it. We're going to come back to the mail, to the resolution of the mailbox story in a second, because I do not have time to handle the mailbox at this moment. Right. Because I still have to get back to my daughter's party that we're still setting up. And so I, I, I essentially just leave the mailbox on the ground and I'm like, okay, well, that's that. And so I get in my car and I go back to the church. At this point, people are arriving. We have basically had things set up. People are arriving. I, I come into the church. I follow in one of Adrea's friends and her parents. And Beth runs over to me and says, we got a problem. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what's the problem? And she leads me over to the nursery where there is currently an inch and in, about an inch of water everywhere in the nursery. This is the mopping thing. Yes. Yes. Oh God. Okay. It's just everywhere. It's in the kitchen. It's in the nursery. And it's because in the infinite wisdom of, of the old folks who ran the church in 2013, when they received their $300,000 check for capital improvements, they decided to design the church like this. And they put the hot water heater in a tiny closet in the nursery. You know where children are. Oh, gosh. Um, also, just an inconvenient place to get to because, like, again, children have a lot of things and they're always in the way. Exactly. And the drain that if there's any excess water or whatever, like the fail-safe drain, is bubbling up water just, just as it goes. It's like it's just going everywhere. And I'm like, oh, hmm. And so I find a mop. And I'm mopping and I'm calling people. I call uh, the first person I call uh, went to voicemail. Shelly, friend of the pot, who, well, she likes the pot. Shelly is <laughs> her name. She, she Shelly, you're going to have to come on the podcast sometime. Oh, Shelly. I don't know if Shelly would like to, but, but Shelly, Shelly, <laughs> Shelly, friend of the pod who enjoys the pod and likes to talk to me about it sometimes. I, I, I go to, she goes to voicemail and I go, okay. So I call my secretary, I call Colette. Colette's like, oh, dear. Uh, well, what do you need me to do? And I'm like, well, I should probably get um, X trustee's number. So like Eddie, I, I should get Eddie's number. Can you give me Eddie's number? Yeah, that's fine. And so she sends me Eddie's number. I call Eddie. Eddie says, oh, man, that sounds tough. Uh, you should call Gene. Gene will know what to do. Gene's another trustee. So I called Gene. Gene's like, oh, no. Well, have you talked to Eddie? I was like, I did talk to Eddie. Eddie told me to call you. Gene's plan was, well, it's a Saturday. There's no nobody we can call on a Saturday. Better just save it till uh, ad council tomorrow. And I'm like, ah, uh, no. That's not a good idea. Right. <laughs> that does not address the current situation. Yeah. That's an extremely poor plan. Um, but thanks for your butching. And so at this point, 
Eddie and his wife, Pat, have shown up with a shop back. And, okay. and I spend the entirety of Adrea's birthday, birthday party, uh, mopping and shop vacuuming the nursery while water just bubbles up out of the fail-safe drain. <sighs> I, they call somebody from the town, from, from like, the, like the local government, to come in and look at it. And this guy shows up and fixes it in 10 seconds. And uh, and it's fixed. Okay. And I got to tell folks at the church on Sunday that a member of the local government fixed it. That's pretty great. And these and these Confederates, they were not pleased to hear that. Oh, never mind. I, I think I mean they laughed like like they they were like, well, we're glad that we're glad that it's fixed. But but they they uh, uh, a couple of them were like, you know the local government why'd you call the local government and i'm, I'm like i didn't members of the church did right your trustees your elected yeah. trustees <laughs> and also guys it's fixed everything's fine uh and when i saw some of the sour faces it prompted me to go on a playful tirade about why the south lost <gasps> ethan there's no playful tirade about that in rural Virginia. Well, it worked. Everybody laughed. Everybody oh, maybe, but oh God. You know how I push jokes so far and that's how I win? It's, yeah. That's, that, I do that in everything, Joe. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yes, I did. I, I, was, I was like, you Confederates are so weird. I have a problem. I don't want to solve it myself, but somebody calls duly elected government officials. They solve the problem and you're mad about it. You know, this is why y'all lost the war of Northern aggression. <laughs> well, at least you called it that at the end. No, that's why that's, that's how I do it. I, I adopt certain <sighs> phrases. Um, oh my God. I'm dying. I'm like, I am like writhing from the inside in shame. Like I, in discomfort. I can't, ow. So, okay. But like, does this, how, how on earth were you able to call a trustee while knowing that the mailbox is down? Like I would, I would have been, this is my own neurosis. I would have been like, well, I can't call the trustees. Like they'll have to drive by the parsonage and then they'll see that the mailbox is down and then they'll blame me for the water because of broke mailbox. Like I, I would have, this would have ruined me. I think, I don't think I would have been able to handle this. Well, so my, my basic strategy with dealing with church people, this is my strategy since Kerwinsville is, is to pull what I call, um, well, John Mulaney actually calls it this and I've adopted it. I call it uh, pulling a contemporary Bill Clinton. Yeah. And which I go, I mean, I'm just a silly old man. I can't do nothing to nobody. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Actually, I do that from like a woman's perspective. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Never mind. I mean, you talk oh about that. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, what, what can I possibly be accused of? I mean, look at me. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And everybody's like, you know, he's right. He's just a stupid 30-year-old. He doesn't know anything. But then how yeah. do you get them to listen to you later? Don't you lose their respect forever? I, I don't. And it's mostly a man thing, and I recognize that. 
Um, mm. I, as I often say at, at, at UVA, you know, when I'm around all of my lady friends, like like CJ and Beth McKinney and, and different people, I just shrug and I go, well, I don't know why everybody doesn't want to be a man. You know, <laughs> being a man's the literally the easiest thing I've ever done. Like it's it's so easy. All I have to do is smile and shrug and be like, I'm sorry, I don't know anything. And then and then they and then they people just give me kisses on the cheek and tell me how oh, a sweet boy I am. Ah, oh, that's yeah. yeah, being a white man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a super cis, easy. A cis straight white man. Yeah. You you've done it. You've won the lottery. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's super easy. Um, I don't know why I don't get it. You know, the second easiest thing in the world is a basically a cis straight uh, white lady. That's true, man. I was talking to uh, I was talking to my therapist about unfair expectations that the church puts on me, and that that what they really want me to be is like a cis straight white male with a family with like a wife and kids. And mm-hmm. I was like, but even if I did turn into a man and had a wife and kids, they wouldn't like me then either. And that's a uh, that's the ongoing thing, Ethan, is that we really can't change into you. Nobody likes it when we try. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but so I pulled that. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I didn't do nothing to nobody. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, and, and honestly how I recover is, you know, in general is just by being, um, like how do, how do they respect me after that? I just playfully do it at different times, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't do it. uh, I, I won't do that on certain things and I'll do that in other things, you know? And then I'll do things that nobody wants to do. That's that's another way. I, that's how I did it at Kerwinsville. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, you know, I, I'll, I'll when I don't want to do a thing, I'll play that I'm just a silly millennial who doesn't know what he's doing. So somebody will do it. When I know it's a, a piece of my responsibility that I have to do and that I need to maintain some level of authority, I never bend on it. And then how I shore all of this up is that I agree to do really humiliating things like be in a dunk tank when we did carnival days at Kerwinsville, Uh. you know, and just, just do it like that or, or be flamboyant and make people laugh, you know, like it's just, it's, it's all about, it's all about presentation anyway. Yeah. Many ways to endear yourself to others. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just how it is. Uh, And so I, we resolve the water problem. We go to, I go to church. I, I make fun of them for losing the war of Northern aggression. Um, <laughs> the one sons of the Confederacy guy that goes to my church, he laughed, he shook my hand. He was, and, and he started talking to me about, you know, how grateful he is that I finally am calling it by its real name because at the end of the day, it really is that way, you know? And I'm like, I, I know, I know us Northerners were mean and you guys own people. You know? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh my god holy shit <sighs> okay i'm glad it worked out okay <laughs> so and and you know why it worked out it was because i told him the story of running over the mailbox oh okay okay remember i'm a dummy <laughs> right, 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 right. Nobody has to take you seriously. Right. Uh, and so, okay. So that was Sunday. I didn't do anything with it on Sunday. I should have. And I said to Beth, I was like, oh, I'll just take care of it Monday morning. And Beth's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I honestly like we all know that Beth is right in this scenario, right? Uh, her obsession with male, false. That that is not. I, I refuse to ignore. That's a neurosis. She needs help. No, your but, insistence that you'll just take care of it eventually. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, <laughs> now, in my defense, in this, this is a very real thing. In my defense, seven years ago, we bought a post hole digger, and I have no idea where it is. I thought I knew where it was. That's why I said I'd take care of it Monday morning because I was going to dig the hole and then I was going to go to Lowe's and buy a mailbox. So like my plan really was to essentially get it done on Monday, but uh, that was a, it was kind of hard. No post, no post hole digger. I was like, uh Oh, uh, that's not good. And so I kind of didn't do anything Monday. And then Tuesday rolled around and Beth's like, what's your plan? Like, what's what's going on here? How are you going to fix the problem that you created? And It's an honest question. It is an honest question. So I called Gene again. And I'm like, hey, Gene, do you have a postal digger? And he's like, I do. And so I go over to Gene's uh, land because he owns actually a ton of land, hmm. which I did not expect. I was like, oh, geez, because you got a real thing going on here. And he hands me a postal digger and a digging iron. And he was like, okay, you're set. And I'm like, yep. Now, the, here's the funny joke about all of this, Joe. <laughs> I I know how to do this. Like, the sure. funny joke about all of this is, like, I went on mission trips. Right. I, know, I know how to dig holes with a postal digger. I know how to set beams, you know, whether they're wooden or metal beams, into the earth. And do all of this stuff. And so I I go outside in the, you know, the heat and the wildfire air. And I spend like three hours digging essentially a, a foot deep hole okay. with the digging iron and the post hole digger. People are driving by waving at me. I'm like, yeah, hi. <laughs> you know, great. And uh, and then I go to Lowe's. And I buy a, a like a kit, like basically like they sell like mailbox kits. It was the cheapest option. It's literally all I need. I, I'm not I'm not here for an aesthetically pleasing mailbox. Right. You know, I just need a mailbox in the dirt. And so I spend 60 bucks and I buy this kit and I go back, you know, to the house from Lowe's and I take everything out and I and I look at how to do it. And it occurred to me as I'm looking at this. That my initial plan, which was, I will then, I will then hammer things into the earth, and then pile dirt back on, is not going to work, because that is a bad idea. And I was okay. like, shit. And so I go back to Lowe's, I get a fifty-pound bag of concrete. You, I'm just. It's just like, I, I, I have watched. Many men in my orbit over the course of my life attempt things like this. And when anybody gets to the place of, so then I bought concrete. I, I, I just, I know exactly what this is going to look like at the end of the day. And I have thoughts about it, but, but continue. All right. Well, I just need you to know that as I finish the story, I'm literally going to send you pictures of the work so that you know how it ends. After okay. Um, and so I bring the concrete home. I uh, it's it comes in like pieces, like like the kit came in a couple of pieces. 
I take the bottom piece that goes into the dirt. I set it up. I put like some, like, like I have like a couple of bricks and like the, the parsonage has like bricks in the basement. I put like some bricks around so that it's all straight and stuff. And I pour the concrete and I dump water and I pour the concrete and I dump water and, and I level everything out. And then I go away for 30 minutes and I come back and it's dried. So it's stuck in the dirt. Uh, I set everything else back up. Like I put, I screw the mailbox in the second piece, put everything on, um, uh, set it up. And it fucking worked, Joe. <laughs> Let me look at these pictures. I just got the notification. Wow. Oh, look at Andrea. Yeah. I Are you going to – oh, my God. I can't believe – I'm so sorry that my first thought was, are you going to spray paint the bottom of that, though? But, wow, this looks great. I know. And it is in there. Nice. That's for real. There, the cinder the, – the, the cinder block. The uh, concrete worked. You know, like, like it's not coming out. And I, you know, I'm like, yeah! <laughs> I'm like, I no dignity. I'm like running around outside with the drill. I was like, I did it! I put the mailbox up. It is there. Um, it was great. It was great. I think I might have... Oh, and this is the old mailbox. Oh, let me see. Oh. Oh, my God, Ethan. How did you do this? I don't know. Huh. Huh. I'm not sure. <laughs> I love that your tone is like, what an interesting question. Yeah, that's just a good question. I'm not entirely sure how that happened. Wow. But, Can we post these pictures on the Patreon? Is that fine? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I think we have to we have to have a, a testament to this great achievement. <laughs> but I felt great about it. I was like, I did it. And then when I told Beth about it, she was like, good. Because I basically just solved the problem I created. It's not like I did something you know, new in the world. Sure. And I'm like, fine. You know, no, nobody gets me. But no, I I was like, yeah, look at that. And it's pretty darn straight. Like, like you can't yeah. tell from this angle necessarily. But like, when I look out, I'm like, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's not leaning. Like, it's exactly where it needs to be. Like this, this just could be a thing that you tell for the rest of your life. It It'll might be like, be. man, when I got back into ministry, I ran over this mailbox and I fixed it. Like I fixed that thing. It'll be a sermon illustration 10 years down the road could when you be. have to like go back to like folksy sermon illustrations because you've run out of things to say. It's going to be great. It could be. It could be. I feel good about it, man. I, I, what well, my parents are coming this weekend. I'm going to show my dad. You look at that, Dad. Look what I did. <laughs> Do you love me, Dad? Do you love me, Dad? I took Anderson out so out from you know because he came with wrestling. I was like, "Can I show you this?" And he was like, "And he was like, wow, look at that." And I was like, "I know, it's crazy." <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so good. I'm glad that the story has a happy ending because I was yeah. fully prepared. I've told you about the time that I tried to change the windshield wiper control on my car. No, I don't think so. Oh my gosh. So this is the exact opposite of your story. So I want to make sure you're done with your story first. <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it. So I was, this was after I graduated from college. I was working at the planetarium. I was living with a couple of roommates. And uh, the roommates in particular, 
I will not name their names. They might listen to them. Well, they might hear themselves in this and they'll know. And I will tell them that I, I tell the story a lot. And both of you are wonderful people. But so I was leading music for Children's Church at the time at the church I was going to in Chapel Hill. And so I have my like guitar in hand and I'm not, you know, good at any of this, but I'm there, I'm present and I try um, and people really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So I am already kind of late. Like I had meant to be there early to like set up these things and do these things. But like I, I'm within my buffer window because uh, I know myself. I know how late I can be. I set a buffer window. That was Sunday morning. I wake up Sunday morning. What I had done the day before was, uh, and this was because I had never gone to therapy in my life and didn't know how to handle anything. Um, I had pulled into the driveway a couple weeks before all this. And I was pissed about something. Like I was, I don't remember what I was angry about, but like I was angry enough that um, I went to go like pull the shift bar by the steering wheel, forgetting that this is not the planetarium van that I drive all the time, but my car that doesn't have a shift bar by the steering wheel it's got like a shift in the in between the front two passenger seat or the front two seats Mm -hmm. and so i go to go like park in a rage and i like snap off the windshield wiper control because it's not that it does not it's not able to withstand the force of my anger so of course i'm extra mad because now i've done this but I'm, I'm like, you know, I have a physics degree. I've done wiring. I took electronics for a couple of weeks. Like, I know how to do this. It'll be fine. And so I order the part off of, like, eBay that fits my car. And, like, one Saturday, I, like, pull into the garage. I, like, get permission from the roommate who pays more rent in order to use the garage to use the garage for the day. I, um... Uh, let me just be fully honest. I open a bottle of uh, bubbly because I that's how I did a lot of things at that time in my life when I knew I wasn't going anywhere. And so I open a bottle of bubbly. I like open up YouTube. I watch a couple videos. and I'm like, OK, I got this. So I like get in my car. I pull out the other one. I like wire it back in. Everything's working really well. Um, I turn on my car and the windshield wipers only go on the highest setting. They do not go on any other setting, no matter how hard I try. And at this point, I spent most of the day on it. I am not sober. I'm like, you know what? We'll just have weird windshield wipers. It's supposed to rain tomorrow anyway. Like, it'll look it'll look like I care a lot about getting rain off of my car, but fine. And so I pull my car into the cul-de-sac where I have to park because I don't pay the extra to have the parking garage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, that next morning, Sunday morning, already running late, guitar in hand, get to my car in the cul-de-sac, which is like a four to five minute walk from my house. Uh, and my car won't start because the battery's dead. So I'm like, okay, this this is fine. Like, I'll just get one of my car, my roommates to give me a jump. It'll be fine. There's like two roommates and a roommate's boyfriend in the house. There are plenty of people who can help solve this problem. And so, I mean, it's early on a Sunday morning, but there are plenty of people who can help solve this problem. And so I go in and I ask my one roommate who, bless her heart, is not technologically gifted and also like works the night shift. So I did have to like wake her up right after she got back from work. God bless her. And so she, her Prius is right by my car in the cul-de-sac. And so I'm like, do you mind? Can you just give me a jump? Like I have jumper cables. All I need you to do is like start your car. You can even give me your keys if you trust me with your car. She's like, no, no, I'll come help. And so she opens up her hood of her car and she looks around and I was like, do you like, do you know where the battery is? Have you done this before with this car? And she's like, I'm not really sure. And so she's like staring at it and she points to the engine of her Prius and she says, I I think that's the battery. 
And I'm like, cool. I'm pretty sure not, though. Let's see if we can find it. So we can't find it. It's not under the hood. And I'm like, you know, let me just ask our other roommate uh, if she wouldn't mind coming out. And our other roommate is like, oh, I mean, my boyfriend's car is there and I can't move his car. And I really don't want to wake him up. So um, I, you know, I just don't know if I'm comfortable with this. And I was like, don't worry about it. Like, we're doing this all over text. Like, don't worry about it. I will figure out another solution. And so, like, I talked to my other roommate and I'm like, you know what? I just looked up, like, a user's guide for her Prius, like a user's manual, owner's manual. Let's see if we can find that battery, which was in the trunk. So we finally get everything maneuvered. We jump my car. Everything's great. We're ready to go. I get in the car. And the windshield wipers are just... <laughs> So I go to church, I do the thing. And the next day I go to a mechanic shop and I'm like, listen, a friend of mine just really thought that he could do this and he just couldn't. So can you fix this for me? (laughs) And the guy's like, are you ever going to let that friend work on your car again? I'm like, nope, he's never going to work on the car again. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's solid. You know what? Sometimes you lie. Sometimes you lie. Sometimes you pretend to be just like a, an innocent little lady uh, who can't handle these things in order to get somebody to work on your car without judgment. Yep, that's my that is my trying to fix things story, which is why I was on the edge of my seat throughout yours. No, I appreciate that story very much, and like, like of course you do. Got friends, my <laughs> gosh, there's there is dignity. And then there is also needing to get the job done. Right. In a timely manner. You're right. Like, like maintain dignity as much as you can. Navigate that yourself. That being said, do what you got to do. You know? Yeah. I, I once went to Ireland with 80 euro and that was it. <laughs> My God. <laughs> that was college. And, and I was with Beth at the time. And so what that meant was that there was a a wealthy student named Al who, you know, promises were made and I did not follow through. Sexual promises. Um, (laughs) I remember you telling me the story within like, I don't know, the first 10 days of our friendship. And you were like, what in the world? (laughs) These are things you need to know in order to know the kind of person you're dealing with. That's the thing. (laughs) Were Were there lingering touches on the knee and thigh? There were. There were winks, subtle nods. Yes. But, but the point was I did not cheat. Fair. And I ate and drank very well while I was in Ireland. That's and nice. So, and that's really all you needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Al. Al, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But, uh. What if Al is our mystery survive, uh, subscriber who like subscribes in Euros? Boy, that would suck. <laughs> no, it was fine. Al's very nice. It was fine. It's not like it's not like Al didn't know that I had a girlfriend, you know. So like we were both in the wrong. Um, maybe. You know, he could have been like he could have been like, excuse me, but this is very unethical. And I, uh, he could have he could have said that at any time. I could have too, but he could have as well. And so doesn't doesn't that really make this all equivalent? And, and you, listen. the person who is scamming a person, and him, the one who's being scammed. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but those are my ministry stories. I I'm very proud of myself. Yeah, actually, in general, for both stories, I'm even yeah. more proud of myself that I'm once again skipping annual conference. <laughs> oh my god! I knew I knew that was a fact. I knew. I, <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, you're available today. You have not gone to Virginia's for sure. 
And why is that? Well, I might have made up a rule about part-time pastors not having to go to annual conference. It could be a rule. I I haven't checked. Um, and second of all, I don't want to. <laughs> so I won't. It's not my annual conference. What? When am I going to have time? I mean, that's my other thing. Like, like that's why as a part-timer, I'm like, when am I going to have time to do this? Right. You know, like, like that's, that's the other part of it, right? Like, well, if I'm only part-time at the church, like that means I have to be part-time somewhere else to make up some of my money. So I have to call off work at both jobs to go to this work thing. Screw you. You know, like I'm not doing that all for what to help. What am I doing? Right. This, Can you vote on things? Conference. Not really. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm 10, I, I guess technically I'm a student local pastor. So like I'm allowed to vote, I think, you know, as any licensed local pastor can vote, but like, come on, like surely, why, surely that would be stupid. Like, why would I go and do that? I don't yeah. know. Like, it's, yeah. And so until I get in major trouble, in which case I'll be like major trouble, define major trouble. (laughs) You know, fair, fair. You know, in my situation, like I'm out of here in like two years, right? Like, 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 what, they're going to cut me off sooner? Okay. Right. You can Uh, just go be like a barista somewhere, you know? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, maybe I can't live in the house anymore and we did just move in, but well, if you do ever end up going to Virginia Annual Conference, you can hang out with Ian and Annalise. Yeah, I mean, like, it would be fun to do these things. I like hanging out, but I no, I'm not doing it. I, I, don't, I don't have time. It's not my home conference. I have no, like, you know, I have no real emotional attachment, you know, to the annual conference here. So I'm just not doing it. And I always got bugged. I was always, this is maybe a separate ministry conversation. One of the things that always bothered me about, at least in my home conference, the way like things like continuous education was done and, and, you know, conferences and things like that were done is, you know, like for the, for the increasing majority of United Methodist churches, the pastor is the only paid staff. Mm. And um, increasingly, what happens more and more is if I just sort of don't show up, we might as well just not have anything happening that day, you know? So the idea that, oh, every other Tuesday or every other Tuesday and Wednesday, I have to drive to the district office to do an event um, usually just means every other Tuesday and Wednesday – we have to close the church. We have to close the office. We have to, we have to tell people that I'm unavailable like there, and there's no backup. And like, I'm not, this isn't a knock against continuous education. This is just me pointing out that like doing continuous education on a, on a random Tuesday afternoon. Um, if, when, when more and more of your full-time pastors are not just full-time pastors, but also, part-time custodians, their own office administrators yeah. uh, and, and their own, you know, like, in, especially as we adopt the, the, um, uh, a simplified structure, their own administrative council 
you know, um, uh, heads, this just becomes increasingly a bad idea. Like I can come up with a dozen better uses of my time to mm-hmm. both do my job well and even help build up the infrastructure of the church so that I might not have to be the only person doing all of these things. Yeah. Like we were talking about with Kate that like not everything needs to be staff led or clergy led. And like that, that's, that's very true. And you also need to have a number of people at your church that you can call on to lead things when you need them to. And there are plenty of people, uh, not plenty, but I think there are more people who would be willing to like step up on a Sunday morning and lead liturgy than there Mm -hmm. are people who would be willing to like run an event, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we just need to we need to recognize and build up and use the gifts of our laity. But also our laity can't take time off to do things a lot of the time. Or if they're retired, they are past wanting to be active. It's um yeah, we're in I don't know. I do a lot of yes but in my life of like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but here are all the problems. And that's what I'm naming right now. But I also think that I'm naming a reality that has mm-hmm. to be kind of grappled with and worked around. I agree. I agree. And it's not only that, like, I don't think your yes buts are, are like in this situation are unhelpful at all. Like I think, I think cause, cause you're right. You are just naming the simple reality and you add that to, you know, the other sort of side of at least millennial and Gen Z pastor life, which is we're, we got to get you in the most cutting edge the most, you know, nonprofit managerial practices we -hmm. can in order to save the local church in order to, in order to be wired for growth or to be wired for health or, you know, all of this stuff. And those things, those, those things require, and I like those things to be honest, but those things require like constant cultivation. Yeah. Like, and, and here's the thing. Those things also are things that lay people often do not know about. And, and it's not a simple matter of bringing them to an event to train them on. Right. And so yeah. like I, some of these things, I, I don't think pastors actually can delegate. Um, at least yeah. not often. Right. Like not if, if we're adopting a, a particular strategy for, church growth or spiritual cultivation that requires say you know uh, somebody with knowledge and and time to be present you know every three days a week at you know for two hours um, to do a class or to run a thing well how when will that not be the pastor yeah when is that not a person whose full-time job is to do this yeah yeah and i think too that um i i think that if we were at churches for 10 15 years then we could really cultivate lay leadership and build up lay leaders who then would be able to like learn the things that we learn and that i mean one would be really great for them just in terms of like personal and professional development but two would then be able to like offload some of our work onto volunteers but then is that fair you know like is that at some point in time that person is taking on enough work that they deserve to be compensated (laughs) for Mm -hmm. what they're doing and the church doesn't have money for that 
Um, but also you don't really see the fruit of that until several years into training this person. And if you're right. only going to be at a church for a year or two, as many like part-time pastors are as things get shifted around, or like if you yourself are learning these things for the first time as like pastors who might go to um, licensing school are, you know, like maybe you learn things through continuing ed and you're willing to pass those things on, but everybody's learning together. And that's just different from somebody who's had a concentrated three years of an MDiv of learning these things and learning how to learn, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's complicated. Like I, I think I, one, I think it's very possible and a very good thing to build up the gifts of the laity. And two, I think that like continuing it is important and that like, I also think that conferences have in mind the idea of a senior pastor with a staff when they schedule those things, you know, Mm -hmm. they have in mind somebody who has a lot more time resources than, um, than honestly, I think most pastors on the ground have. Yeah. It's not that these things are bad things. It's that there's a lot of factors that make previous models of this more difficult than they were maybe 10, 15 years ago. I, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's what's happening with me. Well, so this Ooh. is like an episode. Do you want me to sign yeah. us off like an episode? Go ahead. Let's do it. All right. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor? is a part of the Disruptive Disciples podcast network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shomwolf, performed by Joe Shomwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at whatthehellisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, bonus content, and more. Or visit our new website at WTHIAP.com for merch and playlists. Thanks for listening, friends, and love yourself despite your failings.